There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News, is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Comedian Louis Black brings his off-the-rails comedy tour to Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. this Friday and Saturday. I spoke to the famous angry comedian about growing up in the D.C. area and the current state of the world. Louis Black, hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. My pleasure. Now, we're talking because you're coming back to the Warner Theater on Friday, May 6th. And seventh, it's called the Off the Rails Tour. And man, after after the last two years of pandemic and politics and everything, uh, I couldn't think of a better comedian to come and, you know, <laughs> vent and shout in your in your great, hilarious, you know, angry sort of vibe. Uh, man, why do we call it Off the Rails? Um, I, I think it's obvious. <laughs> we're, we're completely off the rails. We're not even close to it. Neither, neither we're not we're not even on the rails. We're just kind of the the train went off the rails. Now we're driving on grass, and then we're uh, we're spinning around. I mean, we're not even close to where we should be. Uh, who comes through a pandemic, and at the end of the pandemic, is it's more crazy than it was in the midst of the pandemic in many ways. Come on, I mean, then we're fighting over stuff that is just completely ludicrous at times. Yeah, it's so true. It's uh, you know, and, and if if you'd think you'd think a once in a a once in a century, you know, sort of global, you know, devastating thing would be something maybe we could rally around, but leave it up to us to make it divisive and have half the people think it's real and half not and and go to town over it. I mean, come on. Well, that's that's really that's the you just nailed it because it's really uh, I I used to joke about the fact that uh, you know we were. Uh, we were dealing, um, you know, that we had a two-party system that was basically, uh, initially they were dealing with different, uh, you know, points of view about the same reality, okay? Right. That's the way in which a democracy works. You have to share the reality, right. all right? The reason we're off the rails is because we're living in, we are now living in two separate realities. We're arguing over what reality is. You can't do that. I did that on an LSD trip, and you learn a big lesson from that. Right. You're exactly you nailed it. We we need that baseline of common facts, you know, that, you know, Walter Cronkite comes on. We all hear it. And then, you know, and then we can have our Republican, Democrat, you know, arguments over policy and how we should interpret that. But 
now now it's just it's like Seinfeld. It's, it's the real world and bizarro world. And I don't know how how do we I don't know how you square that. And we're operating on two different facts. I don't know how we square that. Well, what you do is, is you you um, start voting for adults, and maybe we have to test people of whether they actually are responsible adults now anymore, because they really are, seem to be very, very few. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's spectacular. And that's, and that's uh, uh, to be honest, one of the reasons I was born and raised around uh, Washington and Silver Spring, Maryland, and I, one of the reasons I left was is I couldn't sit there, and, and, you know, the local news there is national news, all right? right. What goes on there in the... Uh, in the, if I would have been in front of Congress every day, uh, basically barking on all fours at these people and probably nipping at their heels. I just couldn't handle watching that close what what goes on there on a daily basis. Yeah, you you sort of I guess you got out just in time. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I beat him to the I beat him to the punch. <laughs> I was out when I was, but I was gone by twenty two. I was like, this has been great. I'll see you around. Great place. It's a great place. I mean, if I wasn't. Born and raised there, I'd probably go live there. <laughs> oh, we love it here. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I grew up around here too. But uh, yeah, it's insane, and it's just—I it, agree with you. It's so—I mean, just just to see, like, just to see the the these landmarks that we grew, you and I grew up around, like the Capitol building, suddenly getting you know stormed by voters because they think it was an election fraud. Like, I I, I never thought I would see that. Like, that's the stuff that's like in you know White House down, Olympus has fought, like all these movies, and suddenly we're actually watching it, and people and people making excuses for it. People saying it didn't happen. Right. Exactly. Or that yeah, calling that it, it calling it a. Line. Yeah, and calling it a regular kind of uh, just a, you know just uh, tourists coming to see to see the place. I mean, seriously, when I was a kid, you just walked up there and walked in. And uh, granted, we we've reached a point where we're beyond that because we uh, we think that um, you know that we're you know we're that it's, it, you know we we've we've lost it in terms of doing that. But um, but but we're but we shouldn't be at the point where you just kind of where you don't protect the White House. I mean, for starters, and, and nobody's explained it. No one. There's no explanation for it. None. It's been uh, you know okay. They're, they're, and, they, and they should be looking into to what the hell went on there. But for, on the other thing, no one showed up. There doesn't seem to be any analysis of why no one showed up. It's almost impossible. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, I'm glad you got out at, at the right time. Uh, let's talk about, I mean, you mentioned you grew up around the Silver Spring area in D.C. Um, didn't you Didn't you also go to the University of Maryland for like a brief stint too? Yeah, for a, I went for a year uh, and it was, uh, it, it was like, you know, probably eight miles, 10 miles from my home. And I, <laughs> I, and I was living at home. I just couldn't do it. I mean, I really tried to get, I, I, the, I had bad counseling advice as a kid so the schools that I applied to I didn't get into and then I went okay well I'm gonna go to Maryland and then I transferred out it was just too close to home I was it was you can't live with your parents I just couldn't do it yeah exactly uh well you're you're talking to a a Maryland Terp alum sir so you you friggin traitor I'm just kidding (laughs) you went to you became a Tar Heel right you went down to Chapel Hill and yeah yeah cool 
Very cool. And I then, didn't. But I didn't become a Tar Heel. I don't understand what. A, no one knows what a Tar Heel is. I went to the University of North Carolina. It's like one of those. You know, it's like uh, you know, it's one of those things. Vonnegut describes as a group of people who have gotten together. You know, around something, and it's very nice. And I'm glad that. And people use it, but I don't. I still don't know what Tar Heel means. <laughs> but uh, you went sort of a. You didn't obviously set out to be a comedian. I know you went to. You got your master's at Yale School of Drama, and, and you wanted. To, I guess it was the plan to do the acting thing before you you got into no, the, comedy. The later. plan was the plan was to be a playwright. I was writing playwright. plays. I wrote a lot of plays. I wrote a lot of plays when I was at Chapel Hill, and then went on to write a bunch of plays up until the time I was about forty, uh, and then uh, I went back to it later on uh, in the in the past. 10 years and have gotten uh, some one acts published in a, in a, in a full length play that I had done around in a number of big theaters in the country. And that got published and now it's being done in uh, actually it's being done in Bowie, Maryland of all oh, places. Yeah. Called one, one slight hitch. And it's being done there in uh, um, I think July. What's it, what's the, it about? What's one slight hitch about? It's about a, uh, it's basically about a, 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 a it's, it takes place in the, in the uh, 80s and it's about this woman who has to choose between uh, either getting married or a career. Well, that sounds really, really cool. And I'm, and I'm glad that you've come full and it's, circle. And it's a comedy and it's a, uh, it's a, ro- no, if, if you didn't know my name was on it, you wouldn't have known that I wrote it. It was a, it's a romantic comedy and a farce. Wow, Lewis. Yeah, when you think Lewis Black, you think of romantic comedy. You know, if this was Inside Out, you you don't wouldn't play the romance emotion. You usually the anger emotion. No, no, I, and I would I wouldn't be playing happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you you know you're a versatile and b sort of bringing it back around to that initial love of playwriting. Like so, wait, but before you got into the comedy thing, now now I'm now you've sparked me in talking plays. But uh, did you have cert- certain playwright idols or, or plays that that you really dug on during those early studies? Oh yeah, I mean I liked you know this is. This is like now. Now you can hear them turning. They're uh, they're going to a different uh, station. <laughs> this is you know. This is where Ince leaves the room. You know, I, I Chekhov I loved and uh, Beckett I loved and Pinter I loved and Sam 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 Shepard I loved and uh, there are a ton of others that I could list. Uh, I mean, I the, my one of my first favorites was by John Osborne. It was and it was called uh, 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 aptly enough, "Look Back in Anger." Um, it was about a guy. It was about this uh, really, uh, you know, kind of this guy who was really, uh, you know, ticked off. But it was a, a kind of a working class drama. And then, uh, and then, uh, Herb Gardner's Thousand Clowns, which uh, kind of was a model for me for a long time. Which was just like, you know, how was I going to deal with being in the real world and um, and be able to manage to do what what I wanted to do. Well, well, maybe as you mentioned, so and so have have left the chat. Bring bring them back now <laughs> by talking. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, we're back now. We're, we're back we're, now. We, we're, we out to, of, we're out of the theater. We had to plant the Chekhov's gun of comedy. It's going to explode later in the third <laughs> act of this interview. I promise. But um, <laughs> tell me wow. about how, how did the? Yeah, that's the best I got, dude. How yeah, do that's we get, good. How do we get the? And we're gonna we got to pay it off at the end. So um, how did we? Uh, <laughs> how did you actually do? You said you're around forties. You you got into comedy. How'd that actually happen? Well, I mean, I was doing stand up on the side. I was running a a, a, a theater, uh, a, a, basically a theater bar. We were doing. Uh, one acts and uh, and doing um, uh, you know all sorts of music and uh, we were right off of Broadway here in New York City a place called the West Bank Cafe downstairs there was like a hundred seat 
uh, bar and a theater and um, a, a small little stage. And uh, I would open for every show and begin. I'd been doing stand up on and off, but literally I didn't. I was doing it for fun. It was just kind of like a. I got a kick out of it. It was a way that I could write some stuff and get it up there without having to write a play. And uh, and then all of a sudden, and I was always fascinated by comics. You know, the, I watched a ton of them, and Carlin and Bruce and Pryor and Lily Tomlin and a ton of others really uh, got me. You know, really, I kind of was fascinated by what they were doing. So I was fooling around with it. And then uh, when I was introducing these shows, and then we were doing a, sh- a stand-up on Saturdays, uh, we would do these shows with music and comedy, and I was hosting and, and performing at those, and it it took off. I mean, people liked the stand up more than they liked the um, more than they liked uh, the uh, the plays, and that became kind of the way. It, and then I went, I finally had this play I thought was going to be the one that would break through, and it and instead it was a it was a miserable experience that I had in Houston, and then uh, I went to uh, ended up uh, doing a going down and working at a, a comedy club in Houston, and, and uh, I went, uh, and they offered me a gig there for the same amount of money that I made as a playwright. I'd be working there one week as opposed to spending two years writing a play as I had been, and uh, I'd get the same amount of money. I'd stay in a nicer hotel, and uh, and I was dealing with drunks rather than intellectuals, and I just went, okay, I'm amazed the drunks are treating me nicer, so I moved on. Yeah, if the pay's equal and you get drunks treat, you know, let's hang with the friends in low places for a while. <laughs> They're gonna make. <laughs> and it worked out to be, it worked out well because essentially I became the actor of my own stuff and uh, and, and went on stage. And then yeah. I got, and then I got lucky. You know, that's the way it goes. You know, I, I, I got, I got the, uh, I got to be on Conan and the Daily Show and did a bunch of stuff for Comedy Central and things just kind of went nuts. Yeah, you mentioned The Daily Show, and it's kind of timely because, you know, the great uh, John Stewart just got honored with the Mark Twain Prize at the Kennedy Center um, just yes. like two days ago or something. Yes, he did. And then I guess it'll be on, I think, they, I don't think it's been on TV yet. It'll be on TV soon. Yeah, they usually tape it and then air it like a month later on PBS. Yeah. But uh, just speak to, um, well, A, how deserving he is for that. I mean, I, I, I think he was, I mean, it was about time he got that award. But uh, but B, you know, just your experience working with him, too. Like, uh, th- those Back in Black segments were legendary on, on Daily Show. Well, thank you. And it, we're still doing them. I've been doing it for, you know, I'm doing it until they, they realize I'm still there. And, uh, <laughs> and go, wait a minute, what's he doing? So I've been doing it for 25 years. I started with Kilborn, and I'm still doing it with Trevor. Oh, that's great. And and how how's how's Trevor? You know, holding down the fort since John. I mean, it's got to be hard to step into those shoes, but he's doing it. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's doing a good job. This is the, the you can hear that my, one of my agents is calling right now. And <laughs> um, do you need to bounce right now? Or I'll, I'll no, 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 no. That was it's literally. I'll find out who called. It's probably you know what it is. It's my. Um, I think it's my, my, it's a prescription or it's a spam. And somebody's telling me that I own a car and I don't own a car. <laughs> you know, I could cut it out or leave it in there. A couple months ago, I was interviewing uh, Gilbert Godfrey, rest in peace. This was just yeah. a couple months ago. And yeah. a fire alarm kept going off in his hotel. And But he, like the hilarious guy he is, just kept going and was riffing with it. He's like, I'm burning a lot. I mean, it, he was, it was great. So maybe we'll leave the phone. Maybe we won't. It's you can see if it, if it works. If it's funnier than the other stuff, leave it in. Um, yeah, Gilbert, was uh, that was a great loss. Um, I just... Uh, I just, you know, I just, uh, I knew him a, a bit and uh, spent time with him and his family and 
rough. It's just, uh, he was one of those, like, he was a foul-mouthed angel is what he was. He was great. Yeah, yeah. Well, now he is a foul-mouthed angel, yeah. Well, I mean, in just in general, though, it's been a, it, wow, now that I think about it, Gilbert Gottfried, Bob Saget, Louis Norm, Anderson, Norm MacDonald, it's been a yeah. rough year for comedians. Yeah, it has been. It's not good. And it's the, and it's the really the, 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 the you know, uh, just some of some really great ones, all unique in their own fashion. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, what else? I mean, there's so much more we could talk about in your career, but I know we've kept you. We definitely. Well, that's all right. What were we? Wait, we were onto something there for a second. I Before just the was... phone rang, we were talking about the Daily Show and Trevor. Oh Noah. yeah, no, uh, with Trevor Noah. Trevor, uh, he seems. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that you know he started it and it was it, it's gone well. I mean, I've enjoyed working with all of them. I'm kind of my own. Uh, you know, I mean, they bring me in when they want me. And, um, you know, I think that he, uh, you know, he got, you know, that having to leave the studio and all had pushed him into a different space. Now we're going back into the studio. I think that'll make a difference. I think being in that studio with an audience is huge. Um, and and we we didn't go back. We moved to a, uh, the, the thing I think that we, we moved to a uh, office building and started doing stuff in there, which worked out okay. But really, it's the last place you should be doing uh, comedy is in an office building, okay? Unless you're doing, um, you know, TikTok videos for some, you know, sort of. Uh, here's how, you know, you're you're doing uh, you're doing TikTok videos of, of how hellish an office can be. So you're down to your your you know your short version of the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you're yeah, unless you're you got Michael Scott there with you, it's kind of hard to make an office. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was, but he, uh, but, but you know, Trevor in his own way has done well. I mean, you know, I've worked for you know all of them. I just, uh, I, you know, my thing has always been, you know, they 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 never auditioned me for that to be in that chair, and that's always been like just just you know put let I don't you don't have to hire me just pretend like you go oh okay that didn't work as opposed to deciding. <laughs> That it wasn't gonna work. Just you know, you know, just kind of like it, just do it as a, a you know a courtesy. I've been on the show for years, but it's it's worked out fine and it's been great. And I'm certainly uh, not complaining at all because they wouldn't have given me the job anyway. <laughs> I mean, it feels like that show could go on forever, and you'll and Back in Black could go on. Those segments could go forever because you know just just wait just wait two months and, and Putin invades a country. You know, what I mean, you you're there's always some sort of event going on that you're never going to be. Tired well, I mean, it was when they discovered finally, and it has a lot to do with the explosion of cable television. Is when they discovered that oh, politics is funny, huh? Right. Uh, you know, and social satire is funny. It wasn't just politics that they didn't get the idea that social satire was funny too. And well, what really, John, really, Stewart. I mean, that you and you yourself. It what really flipped everything was like realizing that when they're tuning into your satire show, which obviously is satire. But sometimes you, I mean, I feel like sometimes you get a, a clearer picture of what's going on and st talk straighter to you than the quote cable news channels. Like when, when that when that flipped. I think we were in trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's what happened. It was when, uh, it was when, you know, uh, when essentially, it's when um, the reason we could kind of came out is, is being being the ones to look to it is is because the news was already it was just pointing to the fact that right. news was already becoming satiric. Right. You know that somebody would come on, they would say something. 
Then they would deny saying it. Then we'd show them a tape of him saying it. Joke's over. Let's move on to the next subject. Yeah, exactly. And then and didn't Stewart go on with, uh, it was like Tucker Carlson on Crossfire and called him out and said, we yeah. need you guys. And then they got canceled. And and now we've seen what's happened uh, with, with that career. It's like, yeah. I think of your Glenn Beck has Nazi Tourette's thing. <laughs> well, yeah, that, well, the greatest one is that, that thing of his, uh, for those who haven't watched, it was the, um, the advertisement for his, uh, the other show he's doing, which was about, you know, you know, this thing, he was doing a thing about men and about we're not being manly enough and we're losing our testosterone. And he actually have a guy tanning, tanning his genitals. Okay. They actually show, I mean, it's like, I did, first off, I never thought of it. Second off, why would you want people to, you know, to know about it? Who's doing that? Why isn't that a psychiatric problem? Who, who the hell is spending that much time looking at their genitals? Going, boy, what a nice tan. It's madness. Man, you're, hello, that's where, the, that's where the, it comes from. Men are losing their, you, you're, you're baking your genitals and then you expect to have testosterone. Is anybody, I don't know how it, the, the system really works down there, but I got a good idea and I don't think baking your, 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 your pad really helps. And so we're not going to have a, a pad baking tanning segment at Warner Theater, are we, please? No, <laughs> but, but, but I tell you what you will have is, is I'm going to talk about my, re, my what what it is is the story of me in the pandemic and i didn't respond well and um and it and i started doing it on the road and uh and t started talking about it when i hit the road again and i thought i you know it was basically i was going to do that for a while and see where it led and it led to it'll be my next special which i'll be shooting later on after the the, the warner is kind of the final tune-up so the folks will be seeing it and um and that's why I'm, and I'm really pleased about doing it there because I've had, I had about doing the, that final tune up there, uh, and uh, because the it was great to do the, uh, the 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 special red white and screwed we shot there, and I've always had, just I've loved the Warner, I loved working on that stage, and I think that was really maybe maybe my best special. It was really uh, so going back there to work on this is great, and uh, and at the end we'll be doing the rant is due which is a live feed that goes throughout the United States, that goes throughout the world. And what I do is, is and I'm, you know, folks out there who are listening, um, go to lewisblack.com. You can find out how you can basically hear some of the rant cash and, um, um, and, and hear what people, what, what I ask is the audience writes in, they can either ask me a question, um, but what I'm really looking for is their comments about living in D.C. or in the suburbs or what's, what any kind of yelling or screaming they've got to do about Maryland or their lives or uh, if there's a jelly that irritates them or that they don't like chunky peanut butter, whatever. It can be from the ridiculous to the sublime to the serious uh, to, the, to the damning. And, uh, and uh, I'll pick the ones that were um, kind of come out of that area and it'll be a live feed that goes throughout the world. It'll be the Washington, D.C. show and I'll do it two nights. Where is this? On your it, website? No, it, well, you can find it on my website. I'm going to do it that night. Oh, awesome. That's going to be great. No, so, no, but they can find out how to do it at the website, where to send it, at lewisblack.com. Then, that night, I, I, I pick out the ones and uh, put them together in this show. After I finish my show, I come back on stage live awesome. again, yes, because I'm still alive, and then I come <laughs> back on stage and... Uh, and do that show, which is called the the Rant is Due, which is a separate show, which is basically 
uh, you know, my version of a very uh, low-tech TV show, but that's high-tech in the sense that it goes throughout the world. They watch it in Thailand. They watch it in Korea. They watch it, depending on what any given night, it'll be. We'll find somebody else be watching. That New Zealand was last week. You just never know when people are going to pick up on it. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Well, let's do a final seconds. Let's we promised that there would be a Chekhov's gun of, of laughter that's going to explode by the end. So let's end. You mentioned that this show is is uh, is a lot to do with uh, you know Lewis Black. That you know the quote angry comedy cooped up in a pandemic. I think I can't imagine you bouncing off the walls. What was yes. it, what was it like? Were you pulling your hair out these last? I was years? losing. I I was in solitary confinement for. Uh, almost 12 weeks and it really took a toll because I just <laughs> lost my mind. As I say to the audience after 20 minutes, you know, you've only been with me 20 minutes. Imagine what it's been like to be with me for for, for literally 12 weeks and they and they get it. Are and you shouting at yourself in the mirror? Just talking Oh yeah, no, I was pointing a finger at myself screaming because your brain, your brain can only entertain it so much. I mean, it's, it entertains itself so much and when it's done entertaining itself, it comes after you. It comes after you. It's, you know, solitary confinement is a punishment. And it's, it's really unbelievable. So you kind of, you, you know, it's like being, you're, you're literally the last uh, 10 weeks I was in solitary. It was like, it was like the Nuremberg trials in my head about myself. <laughs> Here's how you failed. Here's how you screwed up. Here's another bad relationship. Here's why you don't have children. Oh, you wanted to have a career? Well, look at your life now, you schmuck. The guy in the mirror is yelling back at you too. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, that sounds terrifying, but also. But, but it's hilarious. but it's funny. Hilariously, <laughs> it's it's actually funny. You know, when you think on a daily basis, when you're kind of going, well, I don't know if I'm going to die of COVID or Clorox poisoning. <laughs> Let's inject. I mean, there was, and I really wasn't sure how this would work, but a lot of I don't think people really we we don't talk about it a lot. You know, there's this and that and the other, and I and. Uh, and I think uh, you know it's uh, we, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get it. It's kind of bookends with the uh, with the other special I did, which was the the night before we went into shutdown. Mm. You know, really, literally, where shows were being cut off. The, the last show I did, we did as a special um, called um, you know, thanks for risking your life. This is kind <laughs> of and this is the story that follows. This is that one ends me going home, and then I pick up with me being home, and then. That'll be that, and I'll move on to the end. And then I'll try to catch up with how this nonsense that is unfolding will be. And then I'll be back on the road yelling and screaming some more about other stuff. That'll be a cool bookend. Uh, yeah, the contrast between those two of pre yeah. last night before everything shut down and now you coming out of it's going to be, uh, it'll be striking, the contrast. Well, it's going to be fun to be at the Warner, and I look forward to it. Awesome. Again, everyone, it's Lewis Black, the hilarious Lewis Black, uh, the off the rails comedy show. It's going to be at Warner Theater Friday, May 6th and Saturday, May 7th. So get your tickets now. Hey, always a pleasure. Th I think this is probably the third time you've been on with us and we appreciate it every single time. Well, I appreciate it. It's fun to be on WTOP. I've known I've known those call letters for, for my from the very beginning. So it's a pleasure and uh, take care of yourself and uh, and uh, folks, there's still really great seats. Grab them. And uh, I really look forward to seeing everybody. All right. Take care, man. Thank you. Thanks, See Jason. You. Have a good day. You too. Stay tuned for my other two chats with Lewis Black. But first, a plug for a fellow WTOP podcast. 
DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News, is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Welcome back to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. And we're back with another chat with Louis Black, who joined me in 2015 to discuss his Let Freedom Laugh tour at Warner Theater. Louis, thanks for joining us on WTOP. My pleasure. Um, now, before we get into your show, um, you're you're a local guy, right? Aren't you from Silver Spring? I'm from the old Silver Spring, not the new, modern, unbelievably, boy, there's a lot to do here, Silver Spring. <laughs> How has it changed for you? I mean, I, I assume you've been back to the to the new and can compare the new to the old. Well, there was there was there was a, a company called Hex there. There was one store. There was a you know it was a tiny it was like a village in comparison to what has become a major city. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, there's the difference. It went from nothing to huge, you know, the, and the, and the Metro, the Metro had a big, made a big change in terms of that. Sure. Absolutely. You know, have you been, have you been, do you still come back, uh, often or just when your show comes? I mean, yeah, but, but I mean, as far, you know, as, as far as Silver Spring goes, I'm there probably, I've still got friends who are around there and I'm there about once a year and then, uh. And my folks are now uh, moved outside of Baltimore, so you know I, I'm down there once, twice a year. Do you mind if I ask what high school it was? Oh yeah, Springbrook. Oh nice. What, didn't someone else uh, rather uh, well known come from Springbrook, or am I thinking of a different? Was it Goldie Hawn or Ben Stein, Goldie, or someone came out of here? Ben Stein, I think, and Goldie Goldie Hawn went to Blair. Oh, okay. You know, it's not as good a school, really, <laughs> at the time. Okay, but you didn't know them back then, did you? No, I didn't even know I was going to end up doing what I was doing. <laughs> do you still pinch yourself every now and then? Do you, you know, the little boy from Silver Spring, now when you're on stage, do you pinch yourself when you're, you know, performing yeah, comedy? I'm still, look, I'm still stunned by the fact of what's gone on, yeah. You know, that my... You know that my face is. You know that I played the Warner Theater and uh, more than a number of times. That I've done an HBO special out of there. That uh, yeah, no, I'm still. It's still like you know somebody's got to be kidding me. I thought <laughs> I'd end up teaching theater. That's what I thought I'd do. How did that? How did that happen? If if you look back over your life, if there was one big major moment that where that where your trajectory changed. Um, it, you know, it was it was mostly just uh, it, it didn't really the trajectory, the trajectory was that I was going to write plays, and I did this stand up thing on the side for fun, you know, to just kind of get my writing, uh, you know, heard because you wait around for them to do a play of yours. It takes you know, you know, years sometimes. So, uh, so I um, 
I just kind of started doing it on the side, and they, uh, and then that's where the end. You know, people went, oh, they seem to like that more than they like the playwriting. So uh, I ended up uh, following that path. <laughs> and, the, and the real change came when I, I just made the decision that, uh, you know, I started going on the the road and uh, and found that I liked it and that uh, they paid you. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That made a big difference because, uh, you know, I really didn't. I didn't really just switch over till I was forty. Right. So it was really, you know, so I was like, I was about as broke as you could be. Yeah. Is that is that rare? I mean, I do feel like a lot of people going to stand up, um, you know, in their twenties or something. I mean, do we talk about that, like making that change, you know, at forty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of rare. Uh, I think that um, I think Rodney Dangerfield it started later also but uh, I had been doing it on and off and on and off and then um, and then once I focused on it and I just kind of um, and there was it was kind of like I was at a you know at a bit of time when it was uh, you know it was a you know a good time to really you know there was still uh, a good time to go on the road right where are you based out of now are you where, like where are we calling from right now New York I can't do Los Angeles it, it makes me insane <laughs> <laughs> they they are two different types of people. Why do you why do you think you uh, can fit in the New York crowd a little better? Well, I mean, it's just a real city. It's got you know, and you can walk around, and it's got a center to it. You know, it's a city. Los Angeles is a, is a series of suburbs strung around uh, roads. I mean, it's I, you know, it's just a, it's a different, but it's a completely different place. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a driving town. It's a driving town, and I and to be honest, you know, part of the thing was just having come from uh, from uh, Maryland, you know, and uh, once they built the Beltway, I got uh, I was, you know I was never I like it was it was enough with the driving. Yeah, it's very similar. I, I think I caught one of your shows, or a, I don't know if it was a TV special or something, where you were in Atlanta and you came out and said, "Well, nice to see you got the the traffic worked out." So, I mean, yeah, I, okay. it, it made me it made me think of DC as well. I mean, the traffic well, I mean, here is The amazing thing is that moment because I have a tour bus. That moment when you come into Virginia now and uh, outside uh, out of DC on uh, on I think it's ninety five or sixty six. Uh, one of them, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, ninety five, sixty. Where they all becomes it's like a spaghetti loop, and it's you know, it's it's more traffic than I ever imagined being there. <laughs> so you like you like the uh, New York model of being able to walk out of your apartment, walk through you know whatever Greenwich Village or whatever, and, and uh, get on the subway. You can and walk, I... you know, you can walk, you know, a couple of miles, and you're you know you're at the you know from one end to the other. It's I mean not you know it's uh, it's you know it's not now not now in this frostbitten <laughs> tundra it's become but generally you know most of the time you can get out and you can you can walk and see things i just don't i never really enjoyed driving i was a lousy driver i even talked about it in my act now i was terrible <laughs> yeah let's get into your act a little bit um so when you come to you know you're coming to the warner theater here um i know you said you've played it several times before but if our listeners have seen you there before you know uh, sell it to them to come back again you know what incentive is there How, how's the show different this time around as opposed to previous well, i mean you know i'm, I'm well first I, I don't have to do it all on my own, which is great. And I have, 
uh, I'm accompanied by her actually, and I'm kind of in the uh, the presence of uh, of two tremendous comedians. Uh, you know, you know, they, the word icon, legend, it just is. I, I, you kind of hate those words because it means <laughs> they've. Uh, to me, it's uh, those words don't really encompass. These are uh, these are you know Tom Smothers and uh, and Dick Gregory who mm-hmm. were. Uh, uh, two of the most kind of you know outspoken um, comics of, of their time, and they're still uh, you know and they, and and still have uh, and still are funny, right? I mean, because they call them an icon of legend means well they came and then they did it. I think you know it's the fact is these two guys are still. Uh, I worked with Dick Gregory and, and Tom um, Smothers. Uh, uh, we did it. We did this uh, benefit uh, in Arizona where the first uh, monument to the Bill of Rights was really built, mm-hmm. and, um, and we raised the money there. And the two of them were uh, stunning. And then there's three other, four other comedians working, and uh, it's Dick Gregory, Tom Smothers, Cristela Alonzo, Ahmed Ahmed, John Fugelson, Chris Bliss, and all of them are terrific. Do you remember when you first in, encountered Tom Smothers, Smothers Brothers? Oh, yeah. It, uh, I, well, at first, when they were, uh, him and his brother would show up on uh, TV just doing, you know, their five to seven minutes on either one of the late shows or... Uh, you know, Ed Sullivan <laughs> to, to date right. to date myself. Um, <laughs> really no such myself. thing. But they would, you know, they would show up and do their act, and it was the, you know, the smart brother and the dumb brother, and uh, <laughs> and kind of like a Burns and Allen kind of a thing to really right. date myself, and then uh, no, no. And, uh, but actually, you know, people should, you know, I mean, I always think it's not a matter of people are, because of the 12 billion uh, videos now that people can watch of cats, um, people lose sight of the fact that there is, there's this whole collection of, uh, of, um, of videos out there of some of the most brilliant comedy ever done. And, and they were just, and then they morphed into that, the Smothers Brothers show, which was uh, extraordinary at the time. No. It, it, it was outspoken. It was um, dangerous. It was edgy. It was everything that they that Saturday Night Live uh, claims to be in in some cases. But I think uh, they hit it. They hit it on the mark. It was called Right Place, Right Time, and they and they and they spoke to the moment. Absolutely, and and I I love your point. I have actually echoed this a ton um, to some you know my peers um, about about just how technology has almost erased time in a way where you know yeah there's all the the, the dumb cat videos you mentioned on YouTube, but you can also pull up a, you know a stand up act from you know whenever really you can watch Richard Pryor in with a click of a button as as fast as you can watch House of Cards or whatever you know it's it's the, that notion of time is almost erased, and I I think that's actually pretty. pretty Pretty great, especially in, well, yeah, in you do, comedy. You, you now have access to all of it, you know. Yeah, absolutely, which is extraordinary. There's even people who, uh, on their way to Warner Theater, could look up your stuff and uh, you know get a little primer. Yeah, <laughs> um, well, yeah, they could look up. You know, basically, if they want to know what I'm going to be doing, it'll be similar to, to what I what I've been, been doing over the past uh, t- the 25, 30 years. It's, uh, I mean, my act is is basically. Uh, I mean, the stuff that I'm going to be doing is stuff. That it uh, is probably um, it's about what's going on in Washington now, which I just find to be beyond belief in the fact that I'm I'll talk about coming from there and I'm hosting, which is an unusual place to be because I'm you know a host is usually someone who's got to be nice and it's really irritating. It irritates me that I have to be nice for a while. <laughs> when you, 
you, you know, because you kind of got to make sure that the next guy up gets a fighting chance. But it's yeah, exactly. You, you don't want to screw it up for them by being a prick. So uh, exactly. I um I look for. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, and I haven't really figured out. I mean, I've got. You know, a couple of hours material that I've been doing on the road for the past uh, past couple of years that's new, and it's just a question of what from there I'll be doing. And then they're shooting it as a special, so uh, that'll be on Access TV, and um, uh, and I so I have to kind of tailor it somewhat for television, only in the sense of trying to figure out what what material do I want to let go of and, and can't do in the next special. Yeah, exactly. And you you know you're tailoring it for TV, and you're also tailoring it um, for Washington. I mean, you, you have you have your material. You take you know nationwide, but in terms of DC, how do you go about streamlining it to you know maybe maybe a couple more DC political jokes or you know are there certain well, that's poli- easy because, you know because I was born and raised around there, and so it's uh, uh, you know I watched I watched it as a kid, and I watched the changes, and uh, you know and the, and the fact that uh, you know I'm you know just quite simply you know uh, we you know when I was a kid uh, the government worked better and I believe that worked better because uh, they were a lot of those people were drunks <laughs> and apparently uh, alcohol made it easier for them to sit down and talk and get stuff done so, is that true so, is that true for stand-up comedy too? have a couple uh, before you go on <laughs> no I don't oh, okay. I can't there are people who do right. I can't because if I drink before a show the anger becomes real <laughs> yes you're kind of a uh, part of your whole act is is a lot of the at least people maybe you've seen maybe a Back in Black on the Daily Show or whatever, um, have seen it. It's a lot of a lot of that shouting, angry humor. Um, how, how did you find your voice with in that style? Because it works totally. Well, because that's it. Took a long time, which is, but it takes a long time sometimes to figure out what what it is that uh, you know what what it is that makes you funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm funny, you know. It, it turns out, you know, I'm funniest when I'm angry. <laughs> and whatever that persona is of, that I throw out there is people find funny. And a lot of the times, you know, they they come just to see me get angry. They don't really care what I'm saying. And I don't, you know. I mean, if that's what they want to see, great. I mean, you know, it's kind of a it's like in a sense it's like you know a great physical comic i mean you know that uh, you know that uh, not that i'm a, a great angry comic you know but, <laughs> but that a physical comic you know people will come and they may not you know they what they came to laugh at is the you know the their ability to do slapstick and my my ability is to implode <laughs> exactly so sometimes you think do you think that can save a joke sometimes maybe it's not maybe it maybe it's even the weakest part of your show maybe like your least oh, favorite yeah, no, joke it's, a joke. <laughs> Just you know, and in part, I've discovered the fact that when something doesn't work, uh, sometimes I'll yell at the audience because I know it's their fault, and <laughs> sometimes I'll yell at myself because I know it's my fault. <laughs> Is there um, a little? Do you have a you know a, a preview? Not actually any punchlines, but in terms of you know which figures of DC politicians or anything you might be covering? Oh yeah, the, the President Obama, the, the, the ones that uh, the, the main ones, President Obama and Harry. Reed and uh, and uh, Nancy Pelosi and um, um, uh, um, the uh, uh, John Boehner and uh, the delightful and always uh, very smiley Mitch McConnell, <laughs> Ted Cruz. Uh, maybe we'll touch on Bachman, Rick Perry. 
you know, who certainly not, well, they're not Washington, but they're certainly, um, they're still very funny. Do you find that today's state of politics is easier to get enraged over for your jokes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I found the one thing in the last uh, 25, 30 years is, is it gets easier uh, all the time. What's difficult is to is to try to find the humor within the rage because uh, they really have gone beyond. They have, I, 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 I just, when I watch them talk to Tim, they say, you know, and, um, and this is the way the American people feel. They have no clue as to how the American people feel. They're, they're literally the saddest thing that's occurred in Washington, and they're completely... Uh, don't even recognize it. They're in a bubble. Mm-hmm. They're in a bubble that is that is uh, like uh, you know Stephen King's The Dome. <laughs> they are really in there. They they can't apply enough sealant right. between themselves and their public. I mean, you know, thirty four percent of the American people go out to vote, which is less than voted during um, than d- voted during World War Two when we were at war. Right. And they consider, and they don't, and they're not ashamed of it. Yeah. But you have, you hear no one in either party speaking about how shameful that is. Yeah. But they rendered, they they rendered the American public, you know, better than any enemy has done. They rendered them immobile. Right. They rendered them. They made it. They made it. You know, the, the American public did not want to go out and vote. <laughs> you know, the people. People, you know, the less people voted in in World War II uh, because they were fighting a war in order so that these people could go vote. And then these idiots come along and they go, you know what? Uh, It's not even worth your time. Yeah. That's... I mean, and then we elect the same group of schmucks. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'll be doing. (laughs) (laughs) See, he's getting fired up over his morning coffee just like he's going to be on stage. I knew eventually we'd reach it. <laughs> well, now you're awake. Um, no, it's uh, it's true. It's it, with your act. It's almost like we have to laugh to keep from crying with some of that stuff. It's real. It's serious. I well, mean, I it's mean because the, the, because the truth is is that it reads it reads like it doesn't read like news. It reads like satire. Right. It reads like someone is writing a fictional account. Absolutely. If you wake up and look at that newspaper as if it's fiction, it's funny. <laughs> it's true. Am I reading? Am I reading the Onion or an actual paper right now? It's hard to tell you know, sometimes. But I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, ISIL has thirty thousand troops. Right. <laughs> That's how many troops they have. Thirty thousand. Yeah. With well, three hundred million Americans. Right. There are a gazillion Chinese. There are a ton of Indians. There's the whole. And there's thirty thousand troops. Yeah. It's it's not a big group. Right. You want to worry about the um the uh the, the guys uh you know who who are who are going over there and uh, and they're coming back and they're taking time bombs. I get that. But don't tell me that the world can't can't get together a force that can beat 30,000 troops. Right. It's absurd. <laughs> Why can't we pull our resources here? <laughs> I mean it is. It's just absurd. You go, what? Because when I read that number, I was like, because it reads like, boy, they're everywhere. Boy, they're coming out of the woodwork. Boy, there's a billion of them. They're just like termites. Well, no, they're 30,000. Right. It reads like a joke. Right, right. Well, and there's and there's your material right there. You don't yeah. even have to write it sometimes. It writes itself. No, you don't write, have to write it. It's literally as if, as, as I was 
there's a friend of mine who said that it's like Kurt Vonnegut is writing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Slaughterhouse. <laughs> um, some of our, our listeners, maybe they've seen you at the Warner Theater before, or maybe they've just caught you, you know, in snippets like Back in Black with The Daily Show. Um, I actually just had the chance to interview Jon Stewart um, when he was touring with Rosewater, and we didn't know he was going to be leaving at the time. But um, right. do you mind saying a few words on, on Jon Stewart and, and your interactions with him? I mean, now that he's stepping down, I mean, uh, what, you know, just any, any final yeah, thoughts? I think, yeah, I mean, I thought he, he was, it was incredible to be involved in that run with him and that uh, uh, I have uh, enjoyed working with him. I've enjoyed watching him work. I mean, I've, uh, he's, uh, uh, he's, he's more talented in the way that, in, in the same sense that Stephen um, Colbert is more talented than that sh- just that show is. Mm-hmm. You know, that his ability to work that show, that there are other things that he is uh, just as capable of doing. And I think that uh, I think that he'll move on to something else and be just as brilliant at it, which is really, uh, to someone like myself, irritating to watch. <laughs> but he uh, and he's, he's been a it's a pleasure. But it's been, it was a pleasure working with him and spending time with him. Um, you know, so uh, I think and I do think it. Uh, it's smart of him to to step down at this point because it's an exhausting. It, there just comes a point um, when you're doing that sort of thing that um, it's it's not that it's not fun anymore. It's just you've you've kind of been you've you've run the same track over and over and over again, and it's and it's time to go. You know, I've I got as much as I could. You know what I think it boils down to growth. Hmm. Yeah, you want to keep and challenging yourself. It. Yeah, and he's not. It's not like he's 75. He's a he's a young guy who uh, who needs to uh, who who wants to grow, and uh, and he's grown as as far as he can. You know, he is uh, he's you know I mean he's his size 36 pants don't fit anymore. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Hey, and um, you know it's if you haven't if you haven't seen any of uh, Lewis Black's uh, stuff on on the Daily Show clips, you guys got to look it up. One of my favorites is was when you did the Glenn Beck has Nazi Tourette's. I think I thought it was just brilliant. Well, thanks. That's uh, that's what's the great thing about working on that show too is you've got uh, you got these terrific writers that work with you, and you've got a, a whole group of of editors. That editing group is uh, the ones who work behind the scenes are brilliant. How does that work? So, if, say for instance, you would come on for a little segment. So you're you're writing your material, but also with with their team of writers for those segments, or how does yeah, that work? I mean, yeah, because they, yeah, John really. Uh, the show, John puts together the show and they find some the topic they want me to go off on. And so uh, they essentially write the first draft of it because I'm tra- I'm traveling around so much. I'm right. not available. And they write the first draft and I come uh, I come back in and then I work through the first draft with them. We come up with a second draft and then we take it to John and go through a third draft. And then uh, we um, go out and we, we basically or they may even do a fourth draft on their own. And where uh, I may throw some stuff out that I've thought of, and then uh, and then we go there, we uh, run it, run it with uh, the clips and stuff, and then uh, without an audience, we go one, we go through it once more, then we take it into John, and then we the the whole group, the you know the the senior producers and John, then go through it again, and then we're on the air. Gotcha. Compare that to what you'll be doing here this weekend. Um, is is there a different energy to doing it live? Because I mean, even the Daily Show was taped. So I mean, uh, do you- the nice thing 
about the, the Daily Show is, is it's uh, there is a live audience, so right. you get a taste of that. The difference is is that it's it's just me, and I'm not I don't have to I'm not in that uh, I'm not a part of the Daily Show. It's just me. So the energy is different in the sense that I can, and also if you're not if you're not shooting just for a camera. Um, you know, the, that I'm in there with uh, 2,000 people. Right, exactly. It's, do you, you f- know, all of a sudden, it's a, it's, a, it's a different leap of energy. Do you get? Do you usually get good uh, audience reaction in D.C.? How's our funny bone compared to other cities? It's great. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's, it's, it has and it will continue to be. It's a great comedy town. And, um, you know, initially, a lot, and a lot of great people have come out of there. Uh, and people who, who you don't even know of because they went on to become writers and producers in Los Angeles. So, uh, uh, and uh, that, that I've kind of kept, you know, a bit of it in touch with over the years. And, um, you know, I, I mean, the only time that D.C. sucks as a comedy town is... Uh, that um, the congressional correspondence dinner, or the um, the the White House, the writers, you know, the uh, the guys who cover the White House, that dinner. There's two of them, and uh, I did one of them. And it's you know, you get all those people in the room, and they, you know, it's like, and they're a pain in the neck. <laughs> they're not, you know, you want a diverse group of people in the room. It's like if you do that with any group, as soon as you put. All the people in one company doing corporate events, all the people in one company are in the same room. Everybody's, they're all Catholics in the same room, all Jews in the same room. It just doesn't work as well. Well, it's almost, it's like that bubble you're talking about, you know? Yeah, it is. But boy, do they have sticks placed firmly up there, you know, get the stuff there. Because it's really, I mean, I did one and I've said it, you know, I had to turn and there's uh, Mitch McConnell sitting literally two two seats to my left. I'm on the dais and he, he can't crack a smile. He won't crack a smile. <laughs> and you kind of go, wow, I, wow. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes, too serious. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and then there's, a, and there also is, is when you do stuff uh, politically in Washington. There's always like, well, you know, I know what funny is. You don't know what funny is, right? But then again, they don't go out and talk to what, what the rest of the country thinks is funny, right? Well, that's hopefully you can uh, hopefully you can split the difference and uh, you can share what we all think is funny. <laughs> I hope so. We're, we're screwed. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be no Bill of Rights <laughs> around the country. Exactly. Hey, Lewis, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I know that Chris appreciates it. I appreciate it, and and we're we have uh, just a few hundred seats left to sell, and I'd love to sell it out. So thank you. Thanks so much for coming on WTOP. My pleasure. That's, I, I, I listened to that station as a kid. It was the big station, and you know, it was uh, it was kind of the legit station in Washington, you know, uh, way back when. And uh, you know, it wasn't the the music station; it was the station where you went and got the actual information and facts. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, it was a, and it was a big part of uh, it was WTOP radio and television. It was uh, huge. Yeah. At the, at the time, it was huge, and it was at the time when, uh, you know, when we had less sources of information and actually more accurate information. Yeah. Well, hopefully, we help cut through some of the uh, BS, like you're trying to do. So. Well, tell them they better, or I'll kick their ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day. I also spoke with Lewis Black in 2018 ahead of his This Jokes on Us tour, also at Warner Theater. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's what we do. <laughs> part of the deal. It's part of the deal. It's, part of the you deal. know, you got look. You know, if somebody can figure out how to advertise things again, um, it would be really great. That <laughs> doesn't seem. You see, you have to go and really go to every possible place you can possibly go. It would be twenty years ago if you went on, you know, and not you know if you went on the WTOP radio twenty years ago, everybody go, wow. You know, <laughs> and now it's like just you know because it's so fragmented. You know, it's like uh, oh, you, did, you know that you just got to try to find all the ways you can to get a, get 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 to get to people. Because I'll show up in a town, you know, I'll show up in a smaller town where there's really nothing going on, right. and and be walking down the street, and this in this sign on the theater has my name, and people will look at me and say, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> It's a coincidence. Yeah, I just happened to be, I'm sightseeing. <laughs> you were sightseeing and saw your own name and thought you'd go check out your own show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to get the word out on this, I promise. It's called the jo- the Jokes on Us Tour. Um, obviously, I-, I have some ideas on what that infers <laughs> too, but what, yeah, what do you mean by that? Why is the joke on all of us these days? Well, it's everything? kind of like the, you know, I keep trying to come up with titles that describe somewhat where we're at, and now we've... Um, now we've kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we've we've kind of reached that point, and you turn on the TV, and uh, I don't care what side you're on, you just kind of look and go, wow, you know, and it, and it's hard. It's like the joke's already been written. <laughs> you just have to say what's going on in the news, and it's already funny. It is. I mean, you know, it's like uh, if it's not one thing, it's another thing, and then if it's not another thing, it's another thing, and then when you try to. When you try to top it, somebody tops it for you. <laughs> yeah, truth. If you truth, stranger in fiction. Yeah, and no. If, so it is. You know, it's it's you know it's what it, when you read it. Just uh, you know, I've got a the poster that really I have out for this thing is, you know, the jokes on us. Your president renders comics obsolete. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, you have you seriously have no shortage of material. We have. Porn star settlements. We have Russian uh, interference and investigations. And uh, what what all do you what topics do you tackle during the show? Well, it kind of it all it always depends, you know, somewhat on what's happened that day. And then, um, well, I mean, I do tackle uh, healthcare because I just had a I I was sick last year last summer and uh, I had, and I was in a hospital which is in Ireland which is you know they're always screaming about boy you know. Boy, those kind of healthcare systems, ours is the best. Well, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. And we're yelling about it, and most people have never been to the others, okay? Right, right. You know, and they have the same equipment, you schmuck. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's so that I talk about that a bit. I talk about the the <clears throat> the tax stuff. I talk about I talk about why it's difficult. What we were just talking about why it's difficult to be funny, in part that. Uh, about this stuff and and uh, and how come you know because I've been you know I was born and raised you know I'm born, I was I moved to New York forty years ago and started making jokes about him and I've been making jokes about him for forty years you know and I'm tired of it. <laughs> how, how does that work? That's a good point. So you've been cracking jokes on the same subject matter of the same public figure for those you know yeah. that long. How, how has that sort of evolved? I mean, like you don't want to tap into the same material over and over again, but as as he continues to rise, <laughs> you have more to work with. Well, yeah, I mean, but he also gives you the stuff. Those tweets, yeah. you're really, you know, it's like 
I mean, I've said it before. I've, I've, every so often, I'll, there's one tweet in particular that I'll read. But I mean, I'm, that I realized early on, you know, um, you turned on the news and they were reading the tweets. And a and first off, it's not news, right? Okay, he's talking to his uh, to those who were, you know, who um, who voted for him. That's who he's talking to. So you're not. This isn't news. So. You know, and, and I don't need somebody to tell me what it is that he said. I, you're, you know, you don't need to read it for me. <laughs> I can read. You don't need to have people discussing what it meant. I, I can pretty much see what it meant, and you're taking away my job. <laughs> Let me read it. <laughs> you know, my job is, you know, if it's, a, if it's something about, you know, okay, three Americans are coming back from North Korea, that's one thing. That's kind of, at least in the news area. Right. You know, but, if you, you know, if you're calling... Um, you know, if you've got, <clears throat> if, you're, if, you're, if you're proclaiming stuff about how somebody looks or that, uh, you know, Mexicans are, you know, t- are eating all the avocados and we have to, we can't let them across the border anymore, whatever it is, you know, that that's my, that, I get to read that stuff because a lot of what he writes is not policy, it's, patho- it's pathology. Right, right, right. And that's what I did. And, and what irritates me no end is, is some of the audience members will will get upset about that that I that I treated you know him in, in the fact that there's a pathology going on. Well, there's oh, anybody elected to that office. There's a pathology going on, and that's my job. That's part of my job. I don't do I want to do that all the time. No, but they all show up with some sort of idiocy. <laughs> every one of them has in my lifetime. I've talked about each and every one of them, but the constant. <laughs> is Congress where in the in the last twenty five years because they've really shown that there's there are just there are twelve thousand ways for us to get nothing done. <laughs> Seriously, and it, it almost doesn't matter who's in there and who's in control. <laughs> yeah, and I'm tired of it. You know, don't tell me what the other side did while you were when you didn't have power. I'm sick of it. I don't care. Just like, okay, that's done. We can move on now. Your right. job is not. Your agenda is not the most important thing on earth. What is important is your agenda and the other agenda and finding between them a, a third agenda that somehow uses a bit of each agenda. That's the deal. Everything else is nonsense. Right, right. Well, and you know what you're talking about because you've been you grew up around here around the whole pol- political uh, yeah. scene. Graduated, uh, let's see, you're born in DC, grew up at Silver Springs, Springbrook High School. Um How's it, how's it changed around here since just even when you come back to visit D.C., like just looking around, how much has the whole landscape changed? And- well, I mean, it's changed by nature. Of the Silver Spring is a different place. When I was there, there was nothing there. Yeah, now yeah. it's like, it was like, uh, it was, it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's like they discovered oil somewhere. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it has to do with, uh, it's why it's so insane that these idiots who were, who 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 are in Congress don't get the concept of how important public transportation is because, you know, granted, I know from, you know, all the readings that, uh, you know, the subways are in, in, in disarray now, apparently, in, in the city. Uh, and uh, But the fact is, is that, you know, Bethesda changed. All of these places changed once those stops were put in. All of them. Yeah, definitely. They all became destinations. How these morons missed that... <laughs> Is beyond me, but they've always missed it. They lived. They, they that con. 
Congress sat for years. One of the big things for me was always is that the Washington Post would have this picture every year or so of uh, you know and uh, you know the slums that were you know this you know the, the area behind Congress, which was some of the worst. They would say here are the worst slums in the world. They were spitting distance from Congress. They're looking at them every day, and they did nothing. I mean, it's it's just beyond. It's like nothing penetrates them. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, it's like they're wearing, you know, they all have, like, metal in their heads. <laughs> what, there, what was that? There was some, one of the, was it a Christmas vacation or something? There was a line, he, I think Randy Quinn had the metal in his head, and he said, it's great, but every time my wife turns the microwave on, I piss myself and forget who I am for half an hour. <laughs> when he said that, that's what All right, all right, let's, let's bring it back around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know you, so you, you graduated Springbrook, and I know I think you initially wanted to be a playwright or a theater teacher. Right, yeah. And, and you kind of fell into stand-up comedy later in life than a lot of people. I think you were around 40. How'd that actually happen? Well, it happened because uh, I realized I couldn't be um, uh, I couldn't be broke for my whole life. So, <laughs> so it, it boiled down to that. Um, I mean, it was kind of something I was doing on the side, and then I was running this room in New York City with some other guys, and we were doing a lot of theater in there, uh, a little hundred seater that's still there called the West Bank Cafe, uh-huh. and uh, um, you know, and we were I was working there in my starting my early thirties, and, and it was going. And we were having a ball, and we were producing people like, uh, you know, um, Aaron Sorkin, Alan Ball, wow. some really, uh, there are others, there's a whole list of, of folks whose work was done there, and, uh, and actors, and, um, uh, and I was, I would open every show, I'd be the host, you know, an MC. And to, you know, kind of say what was coming up, and talk about stuff, and, um, and then all of a sudden... That that people started paying attention to that. That's funny. You said that's funny. You went into stand up not to be broke. I mean, that's uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because all of a sudden, that was you know they they were attract you know people who said you know you want to come over. There's a place called Catch a Rising Star at that point, mm-hmm. and you want to uh, come on over here and uh, and do your stuff. And I was like, I, I don't know. And then uh, I I was I was kind of doing it on the side. So I I tried it initially when I got to New York and. It, didn't work out, and I would do shows on my own, and um, and then they they called, so I went over, and then I started, you know, uh, so the I started working over there, and the people were it was um, uh, Kevin Meany, really great, the late great Kevin Meany, and um, uh, Mario Cantone, uh, Dennis Leary, wow. uh, Rosie O'Donnell, me. That was generally the lineup. Nice. And I started working within that lineup, and I learned a lot from those guys. I bet. What, how did you actually settle in on your, you know, so you're, you're just testing out the stuff. You're, you're <coughs> learning from these guys. How do you, when, did, when about did you settle in on your, you know, your current style of sort of the angry rants and the gritting teeth and the pointing the finger? Like, when did that sort of coalesce? All of that followed from just yelling. <laughs> Everything else I wasn't conscious <laughs> of doing until people pointed it out. I never really... Had been that I'm still not very conscious physically of what I'm doing, except from time to time, and then I go, "Oh wow, I can't believe I'm doing this." But um, I was uh, a friend of mine, another comic, uh, my a, a friend of mine who's a friend of the opening act who's going to be with me in D.C., who's been working with me for years, John Bowman, and his friend um, Dan Ballard came up to me after I'd done a set downstairs at the club and that we had in in New York, the West Bank, and said, you know,
oh God, you know, you're, he said, you, you, you're angry. He said, you should be yelling this stuff. <laughs> he said, I'm yelling my entire act. I'm not even angry. You're the one who should be yelling. <laughs> I need you to, so when you go back on stage, start yelling. And I did. And it was like, okay, here we go. That was it. Wow. So it's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's hard to find that, that comic persona that people is, that's the tough part. So the, it's it's a legit anger. You just play it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's it's a legit. It starts as anger, but you can't really be really angry, right? right. Or people just leave. <laughs> but from time to time, I go. I, I'll point it out if I I'll find myself standing there yelling and screaming about something else, and then I will have to go to the audience. I'm sorry, I've gone too far. Well, it's worked out. I mean, it's been an awesome little brand. I mean, literally, a million kids are going to know you as anger in, yes. in, in Inside Out. Yeah. <laughs> Memories of working uh, with that whole vocal cast. I'm sure you guys aren't all in the same room on, on those animated None projects. of us were. Yeah. I mean, I think um, Amy and uh, the late Gus Smith, Lois, not, what's her name? God. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Phyllis. Phyllis from The Office. Yeah, yeah Phyllis. Phyllis and Amy may have worked together. Um, I think because of the, they they had a lot of stuff. The rest of us uh, that I knew of, we were all doing it at different times. But what about what is that? What do you think? It, what's that like to know that a bunch of kids are going to know you as the, the the fire flaming out of his, your head? And but also uh, the movie's pretty deep. I mean, it it kind of uh, breaks down <laughs> our mental processes in a lot of ways. And I'd like to see how that's applied to Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it'd be nice. It was. Well, I mean, you know, the thing that, you know, they, they kind of go, you know, you know, you're, it's one of the things that's kind of like, we're not going to pay as much because you're going to be immortal. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, uh, you know, the jury's still out. But uh, I was really thrilled because of what you said. It's a, uh, it's, you know, it took me, I say, but, you know, in my, it took my gener my generation, I don't think, even knew it had emotions <laughs> until we were into our late 30s, you yeah. know. It was mostly like I'm hungry, <laughs> you know, or I've got to go. I've got to take a pee, right, right. and that was that was it. And then, but to, but to be like, and and parents have said it to me, you know, that their kid will go, you know, that they, the kid now has some sense of what they're feeling. We never had that, right, right. That's true, and it's huge, and it's huge to know it early on. Well, if maybe... As opposed to me spending the last 20 years seeing a shrink about it. <laughs> yeah, you could have watched it as a kid in animation. Yeah. Uh, well, if they ever do a, a sequel, maybe you can play Hunger or Pee. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can certainly play either very well. <laughs> you get a lot of practice. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I had both during this interview. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, I got it. before we run, I got to ask you about, because I think the, when I first discovered you, it was on all those Daily Show segments, Back in Black. I know you did it with John, and, and I think, you, yeah, you've continued it with Trevor Noah. Yeah, uh, I'm still. Uh, what, how much did you enjoy? Um, or how, first of all, how did that come about? Did, did Stuart contact you? Did he see you on the stand-up scene? Or no, no, you? I started with Kilborn. I'm the, oh, from the beginning. From the very beginning. Oh wow. Well, what what sort of the what do you think the legacy of those segments is going to be? I mean, I I love it's like a little it's like it's like your stand-up act uh, but in miniature, you know? Yeah, it's. I think it'll. Um, hopefully, it's. Uh, uh, um, I mean, it's. I, I don't really know what the legacy. Some of them are pretty. I think have some legs and can be around. You know, a lot of them are just throwaways. <laughs> um, you know, apply to the week we were in, and that's good. But uh, right, right. You know, but it's it. What was you know really in a lot of ways what it was was as a comic. You know, it was like 
especially early on, and I was touring the country, it was like having an advertisement on True. TV every week. You know, there, here's my three minutes. The one that really lodged in my brain was uh, Glenn Beck has Nazi Tourette's. Yeah. That was a great one. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good one. But, you know, it was. You know, it was just. It's just been a lot of fun to do it. I mean, and to continue to do it is really great. You know, I don't know how much longer, as long as they you know, want me. And it's nice to be, you know, it's me and a, now it's like I started there as a kid, and now it's me and a bunch of kids. <laughs> Definitely. I think yeah. the last time you were here, or at least the last time we talked to you on T.O.P., yeah. was with, uh, you were coming to Warner Theater with, uh, oh, it was the late Dick Gregory and Tom yes. Smothers, and uh, I just think, D, I think D.C. was lucky that we got to, to see him before he passed. So Boy, think- that was, he was great. It was great to be able to stand off stage and watch him and spend a little time with him, because you know, I keep forgetting. People say, "Who are your influences?" And I keep, I constantly keep forgetting to say his name, just because I'm so used to saying da 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 da. But he really was a huge influence. Uh, probably, probably, I uh, probably I don't say it because I don't think I ever really have uh, felt that. I think it's someone who does what people describe sometimes as, you know, social, socially relevant humor. I don't think I ever reached the levels he reached. He's you know, he was profound. Awesome. Well, bringing yeah. it bringing it back around to this year, this this year's tour. Jokes on us. Uh, yeah. Why should our Why should our listeners come out? Because uh, I desperately need the money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think if you've been uh, spending the year um, losing your mind, uh, it's nice to be in a room filled with people who have all lost their minds this year and uh, and laugh and weep about it. <laughs> it's cathartic in a way. I think so. I think it's like going to a psychotic church service. <laughs> you should put that on your uh, on your posters. <laughs> yeah, that'll be next. That'll be next one. That'll be the next one when I really start to make make yeah. the church of psychosis. <laughs> the future star of hunger and pee. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The, the next poster writes itself. All right, Lewis Black. Thank you more than generous with your time. Thank you so much uh, again, everybody. Warner Theater, May seventeenth through the nineteenth. Thank you, sir. Yep. It'll be great. It's, it's, and I'll tell you the other reason to come out is, is uh, that's a, uh, I love, I'm really comfortable in that space. You know, we, we did a really, I think one of my best specials was done there. And, uh, um, and the yeah, Red, White, and Screwed we did. And it was, it's just a, a great space to, to, to work in. It's terrific. So I look forward to it. Well, we love to have you back on your hometown station of T.O.P. I'm sure you grew up listening to it. So. I did. And thank you for the time. All right. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.